Hello, this is Matt Burgess from the New Zealand Initiative. Uh, I'm joined today by our Executive Director, Oliver Hartwich. Hello, Oliver. Hi, Matt. Now, Oliver, recently you posted an article, I think yesterday, in the New Zealand Herald talking about a tweet from the uh, President of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde. On Twitter, she said, as the pandemic passes, we need to shift focus from preserving the economy to transforming it. To do that, we must redirect investment towards the green and digital sectors. Oliver, what could possibly be wrong with Christine Lagarde saying those things? There's not much wrong with a tweet itself. Um, And had that tweet come from a politician, say from the French president or from the German chancellor, I wouldn't have objected much to that. Okay, it's a question whether we would agree with all the policies that follow from that, but the tweet itself is fine. What's not fine is that that tweet is coming from the president of the European Central Bank, because central bankers do not have anything to do with these policies. Central bankers are there to do one job, it's a specific job, and that is to organize the money supply so that price stability is guaranteed and that financial stability prevails. Everything else is a matter for politicians. And monetary policy has been taking on an awfully big role. Uh, Now, when I went through um, school uh, uh, a few years ago now, money was a veil. You know, it worked in the short term, but it didn't buy you much, uh, if anything at all, much beyond the medium term. Um, Has that changed? Is suddenly the Reserve Bank able to protect us from climate change with their monetary policy tools? Well, at least that's what central bankers seem to believe. So in my piece, I try to trace it back a little bit. I'm trying to explain why over the past 50 years, central banks have taken on a much bigger role than they did traditionally. And I think it really started 50 years ago in 1971, when the United States departed from the last bits of the Bretton Woods Agreement and the gold standard. Ever since we've been living in a fiat money environment, that means central banks can just print as much money as they like to, and actually they do. What that means is that central banks now play a much bigger role because there's nothing that limits the actions. They can print as much money as they like. And initially we have seen this in the US, especially under Alan Greenspan when he was chair of the Federal Reserve. He effectively put a floor under the stock market, a so-called Greenspan put. That meant um, any kind of stock market crashes or corrections um, were limited and Alan Greenspan did his utmost to correct them. In the same way, of course, Greenspan and other central bankers, especially in Europe, have helped governments finance their activities. Um, We saw that a lot in the European financial crisis and debt crisis in the early 2000s, when the European Central Bank effectively bailed out Italy and Greece and Ireland and Portugal and Spain. And so central banks took on more a political role back then. But what we're seeing now, after COVID, is an even bigger role for central banks. I think in some ways, COVID and the European debt crisis were just address rehearsals for central banks. Now that they have seen how much they can do with all the money they can create, they are really aiming to deploy their central bank money freshly created to all sorts of fashionable topics. But in doing so, they are neglecting their original mandate. And I think in doing so, they are becoming politicians. And that is a problem. And in your article, you say power corrupts. I think you were quoting Lord Acton. Corrupt is a big word. Is that what you mean? It is exactly what I mean. Um, Not in the sense of bribery. Um, That's not what I mean by corruption. But it corrupts the function of money. Money is supposed to be a means of exchange. It's supposed to be a store of value. 
and money cannot just be used for other purposes. I think central bankers behaving in this political way are corrupting the nature of money. They're using it for very different purposes. And that is the problem that I have with Christine Lagarde. That is the problem that I have with some of the actions uh, we see in New Zealand with the Reserve Bank here. That is the problem that I also see in America with the Federal Reserve. Unfortunately, we are seeing the politicization of central banks. So that's one thing. And we're also seeing that central banks themselves would like to play politicians. They would like to play the roles that typically politicians, ministers of finance play. In my article, I actually say some of them probably would like to play God. So how does this play out? I mean, the, the traditional model is that you have independent, uh, unelected officials in these positions of responsibility. And the, the deal has been that they stay strictly within the tram lines Parliament um, has delegated, um, and that's the basis for public trust in the model. Now those um, independent bankers are going outside their mandates, I think very clearly. What's the end game here? They can't just play politics um, indefinitely without there being some kind of consequence, um, at least at the um, at the ballot box, but perhaps more generally. How do you see this playing out, especially now that we've got, you know, the early signs of inflation now appearing? Well, you're exactly right. I think the model central banker used to be quite different. The model central banker used to be quite boring. Central bankers didn't play a political role. If I go back into say, German central banking history, the one example I'm thinking of is Karl Otto Pöhl, quite a legendary Bundesbank president in the 1980s and 90s. He had a conflict with the government of the day over the costs of German unification. He didn't agree with Chancellor Kohl's management, financial management, economic management of German unification. And as a result, Karl Otto Pöhl resigned. He, he didn't want to engage in politics. He respected that it was a political prerogative to determine the terms and conditions of unification, and therefore he resigned rather than interfering with it. I think that wouldn't happen anymore these days. We actually have central bankers that are taking a much more assertive role, and they're telling politicians what they think needs to be done. We see this with Christine Lagarde. We see it actually with Adrian Orr in New Zealand, where a couple of years ago, for example, he went on an offensive trying to tell the Minister of Finance he's not spending enough on infrastructure. Well, that may be the case, but it's not the role of the central bank to tell the Minister of Finance to reprioritize spending. Mm. So I think we are we're mixing the roles. Um, we are mixing the roles of politics and central banks. We're doing it at our peril because once you start this process, you are probably losing sight of the original goal of central banks, which is to guarantee price stability and financial stability. So as we see inflation potentially... Um on our horizon becomes an issue again. Do you see a correction where reserve banks go back to their core mandate and focus on that? I mean, what's the thing that stops them from doing both? <laughs> well, that would be nice if they went back to that. The problem is, of course, in some countries, it's no longer possible for central banks to completely step back. So take the European Central Bank, the institution that um, Christine Lagarde um, chairs. The European Central Bank has basically monetized all of Europe's new debt over the last few years. And many European governments, especially in Southern Europe, are heavily dependent, of course, on the constant supply of freshly created central bank money. If the European Central Bank took its price stability mandate seriously, and it's now seeing signs of inflation on the horizon, it would probably correct its policy, it would finish its quantitative easing program, it would increase interest rates again. At the same time, of course, it realizes it can't do that without getting these governments in Southern Europe 
into a massive problem because they could no longer refinance easily and some of them might actually have to be forced into bankruptcy. Right, so that's a direct compromise of its independence. It cannot, it has to choose objectives. It cannot solve both, um, certainly in in yeah. Europe and potentially here if the governor wants to keep doing things on climate change or, yes. or other things. And we can see this on the horizon for New Zealand as well. We had a report, of course, this week from Treasury sketching our fiscal future and the numbers were scary. If we end up with a situation of more than 170% debt to GDP, Treasury currently tries to tell us that this could be financed at an interest rate of maybe 3 or 4%. Well, that's only possible if the central bank basically provides credit to the government because otherwise private capital, I think, wouldn't be available for a country that heavily indebted, at least not at these rates. Scary times. Oliver, thank you. Thanks, Matt.